Politics Show, and we are lucky to be joined in here by two young student political representatives, Will from the Young Greens, and uh, we think Sam from Young Act may still be coming in. Um, he's probably having a cone or something. And we've got <laughs> Viv from the Young Nats. Um, and of course, I was saying before you guys came in, of course, that Bonnie couldn't be here because of some... Uh, confidentiality and party issues, but um, it's nice to have uh, the young Nats in their place, and of course this is um, as good a week as any to uh, twist the knife on labor, as it were. Um, but, you know, there's some, yeah, there's some serious issues there, so we'll just get right into it. And, I mean, it's interesting, Viv, because we were talking off-air, you're also a law student, as well as a commerce student, yep. and so... Um, uh, you kind of have a little bit of insight into the uh, uh, Otago University Law Department scandal that's going on. And, uh, well, when it comes to labor scandal, labor's not willing to talk, so they're just going to have to leave us to talk about it uh, without them. Um, yeah, I think labor... What do you guys think? I, I wish Sam was here yet because um, I saw David Seymour coming out quite strongly saying, you know, oh, how could... How could labor be giving alcohol to these young people at at events? Which, um, you know, I mean, that's kind of the 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 alcohol to me is is the huge thing. It's not like the law department or the young labor party or even the fact that it was like young people. Like it's just getting blackout drunk, you know, leads yeah. to uh, unpredictable consequences. And like with mates and stuff, that's a choice. But with like imbalanced power relationships of colleagues or bosses or mentors or professors probably not really appropriate anymore yeah I, th I think there's some serious issues if, um, you know, at Adelaide Camp, at such an official location, there are like 15 year olds getting alcohol, you know, that they this that shouldn't be happening. And um, I'm, I'm not sure if it speaks to a, a wider binge drinking culture in, in New Zealand as a whole. You I know? think it does. Yeah. Did you guys, I mean, you guys, how old are you guys? 19. 19. 20. 20. And so, wasn't that long ago that you were 15? Could you have gotten alcohol easily? Or what was, what was the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. I could have. Uh, yeah. 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 And I guess, like, I mean, I moved to New Zealand when I was 15, and that was uh, 20 years ago. But um, even then, you know, I mean, yeah, the, the binge drinking with the teenagers was... Uh, a huge thing. I enjoyed it at that age. Oh, it's totally, um, fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, um, yeah, there is sort of unintended consequences. And, and theoretically, it's been dialed back a lot. Like, that's what we say. We've been saying, oh, we need a culture change. And we've had these changes to the uh, liquor laws. We actually have our picture on our driver's license now. Um, you know, and there's all this additional awareness of alcohol harm, even. Otago. Yeah, the uni's cracking down on alcoholism as well. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting because it was about 10 years ago that Otago realized that it was a little out of control. You know, we had three consecutive years of the Undy 500 riots, and that's when Campus Watch came in. And it was kind of, there was this public acknowledgement of, oh, we need to address the drinking problem. And interestingly, simultaneously... The Labour Party, which was still in power under Helen Clark, was having a, a scandal of a similar nature simultaneously with mm. uh, Darren Hughes having to go away as an MP, basically uh, because there was some sort of story of the police having to come get him when he was naked outside of some young Labour supporter's house. But it all stemmed back to 
too heavy drinking with the youth supporters, you know, after and during events. And everybody realized, oh, we got to clamp down on this. And there were these sort of gestures made. But yeah. then, you know, mm -hmm. 10 years later, let's look at New Zealand society. Has that much changed? I mean, do, are is it really that harder for 15-year-olds to get alcohol? And as a society, do we really find it unacceptable for those to... Kids to be getting drunk, or are we still kind of feeling a little bit like, um, you know, the Wowzers took over and we weren't, <laughs> you know, we unwillingly gave ground when we shouldn't have? I, it's it's hard to it's hard for me to tell if this commitment is genuine and uh, the statistics, while having changed, you know, slightly for the better, and certainly on campus, but you know, they had to implement a freaking police state to get it. It's like, what are <laughs> CCTV we... CCTV. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, um, per personally, um, I think maybe legally it's become harder, but culturally there has not been a real change because yeah. you do still see it as in... As a 15-year-old, you think, you know, I should be able to drink, even though it's against the law. You, you think, you know, w w why not? You know, it's not harming me, even though... It like it is, is. <laughs> like it thoroughly is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's that culture, and New Zealand been drinking culture. New Zealand's, you know, just it, it's just part of us, I suppose. Rite of passage. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's coming of age. Is getting fucking drunk with your. Well, friends. it was interesting yeah. with the um, the law camp, and you probably have some insight into this, Viv, and you can reiterate some of the stuff you're saying off air. Um, there was this, you know, a petition launched by the students to salvage the Souls Camp. Like, the university was like, you know, oh, this is a PR liability, we gotta cut it off. Uh, and the students themselves were like, but we, we've been waiting our whole lives to get drunk and groped at this <laughs> thing. Like, what's going on? Uh, there, there is a certain amount of enthusiasm about, about wanting to, attend these activities yeah. i mean what what can you say about your past experience at at a souls camp a couple of years ago look i'd say it's um everyone can take their own sort of responsibility for what they're doing and i know at the souls camp it was not a lot of um sort of peer pressure but it was sort of just like the social norm that everyone was drinking mm. but it was um yeah never was, everyone could sort of stay in their own comfort zone if they wanted to but i can sort of see like obviously in new zealand culture we've got a big culture around drinking and um yeah like that was just sort of like another weekend with students going on law camp well and it's interesting because you know obviously when it becomes of a sexual nature then you know you're crossing a certain line and and we're we're learning very rapidly in the last year or so about you know what consent means and what the boundaries are and and it's it's fairly obvious to people when they think it through that you know if you're past a certain point of intoxication and your judgment is impaired you can't really give consent um, but take a step back from, you know, things of a sexual nature and just other types of pressure, societal pressure and, you know, any um, anything that might make you feel uncomfortable, even if it's not explicitly sexual. If you've got your judgment impaired past a certain point, you know, you may appear to have consented or, or not been subject to peer pressure. But can you really make that judgment, you know, in that state? And it's kind of... Um, you know, I I'm struggling. I mean, I'm just thinking out loud with you guys here, but um, it's it you know it's it's hard to know where you draw that line. I don't totally. think yeah. anybody's going to figure it out immediately, but I think it's pretty clear that uh, we we drew it too far to one side, um, and we do need to get more towards that middle ground somehow. Yeah. And I, and I think um, you know when you describe um, it as a social norm, yeah. that in, that in itself 
is peer pressure is a type of peer pressure because if it is the norm and you're not participating in that then you know your peers are judging you and you you want to you want to fit in so exactly. you, you move into drinking and then if if you're not in, like a drinker normally then that can escalate really quickly yeah um, true true yeah. and you can be quite enthusiastic about things that you might not necessarily <laughs> yeah, yeah, be enthusiastic about yeah. uh before the fact true true and so with labor, I think their response kind of showed a similar attitude, like most of the young labor themselves and even the labor party hierarchy initially before they realized, oh, F, this is really yeah. bad for us. were like, it was one guy who got too drunk at a party. Come on, who cares? That was kind of the and I mean, I think that's the New Zealand attitude like and it is changing. But when I first moved here, I, I often marveled at the fact that it was almost more acceptable to um, say you weren't going to come in for work because you had a big night the night before than as opposed to some sort of, you know, genuine reason for absence or family thing or, you know, like that was sort of like almost an achievement that was worthy of, you know, praise and um, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, good on you, mate. Um, and of course, uh, good on you, mate, was a slogan I used to see in the lecture theaters when I first started <laughs> attending Otago University. But um, it's, yeah, I think that, yeah, that acceptance of, um, you know, that as an excuse, whereas I guess in more puritanical societies, well, certainly, you know, some countries are not even allowed to drink at all. Mm. Uh, but even in the U.S., it'd be like, oh, you can't come into work because you're, you're hung over. You're fired. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the, the other things. Like you know, in the US, you know, um, you're not allowed to drink alcohol on the streets um, unless it's in a paper bag, or whatever. Um, you know, the, like the classic image on. Yeah, on yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but in New Zealand, you know, you're welcome to drink on the street, and people do, and that's like Hyde Street, you know. Um, yes, street. well, and it, any it any mention the of the thought of having streets where you're not allowed to drink alcohol yeah. is met with huge civic resistance. Like, yeah. what do you mean, my wife and I can't? put our camp chairs down on the corner of Castle and Dundas and have Still a wine, have a responsible <laughs> glass yeah, of wine. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, <laughs> That's a but, good tweet. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's like a <laughs> culture thing. The point I was making was a culture thing, you know, between America, you're not allowed to drink on the street. New Zealand, you are allowed to drink on the street. Binge drinking, no binge drinking, you know? And we still have binge drinking in America, but it's, it's not... It's not it's called it, alcoholism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's seen as unacceptable. Yeah. And um, you know, I mean, a lot of these uh funnily enough, the descriptions in these drunken sex scandals is uh like an American frat house. Well, True. basically yeah. all of the uh student housing area at least in the first couple of weeks of the semester is like an American frat house here at Otago. It's what we call scarfy culture. Yeah. Um <laughs> and you know, I think that's a problem. I mean, I love Scarfy culture as much as the next person, but the, um, and I'm going to get up on my horse now. Um, <laughs> you know, why can't we have fun in other ways? Like, why is everyone being forced into spending all their money on, like, high proof, harmful RTDs that, you know, goes into the pockets of a few of the city's fathers? Like, why can't we enjoy ourselves with yeah, safer recreational <laughs> alternatives yeah. and yeah i think um that that's kind of a like this whole it's almost a perfect storm of the alcoholic sex scandals the me too movement um i was saying before you guys turned up me too hasn't hit new zealand yet we haven't had any prominent takedowns as such 
You know, there's yeah. been a bit of suppression. People have gone quietly. Some people have mysteriously changed jobs and this and that. But for the amount of heavy drinking that has gone on over the last three and four decades here, there is a lot of reckoning. I mean, one, it's like a house of cards. As soon as yeah. somebody starts to gossip on each other, there's going to be a lot of um, me tooing and, and careers, you know, wrecked rightly. Well, probably rightly. I was going to say rightly or wrongly. Probably rightly. But um, I think so this you know at this time when we're when we're seeing it and a lot of it can be attributed to alcohol i mean we've got to call out boorish behavior for what it is but uh alcohol magnifies boorish behavior past yeah. a certain point um th- this this may be the one of the final sort of nails in the coffin of of prohibition in the sense that we realize oh we kind of do need a little bit of an out, a different outlet, don't we? Like, Kiwis like to party. There's nothing wrong with that. No one's attacking that. We're just saying there's certain physiological facts of alcohol, and um, there's, there's better things out there. I mean, I know um, all, the, all the other young Nats I've ever had on this show over the past 10 years support weed yeah. legalization. I can only assume you probably do, too. Yeah, definitely along the similar yeah. lines. <laughs> yeah. I think it's sort of a, definitely an issue we're very sympathetic with within the young Nats, Yeah, and have been some time. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and I guess, you know, that generational change, we've just got to, um, yeah, we've just got to hold Jacinda to her word. And, I mean, when stuff like this happens, it's pretty disingenuous to you know, throw young labor under the bus when we've got uh, systemic issues. I mean, yeah. I feel for Bonnie. They don't even, you know, like we were saying, these guys are looking forward to having their fun events. That wasn't the problem. <laughs> and, of course, today the new headline um, is there may have been drug use at the Ooh. labor camp. So if they start <laughs> if they start flogging that horse, that's, I mean, this that's the opposite direction of who yeah, I go. Yeah. Um, if anything... You know, yeah, they should have been getting those fifteen-year-olds super. High. Wait, no, no, <laughs> can't say that. Crossing a line. Can't say that Crossing a line. Um, we'll play some music, and I think when we come back, we will talk about um, two international political characters that make the New Zealand political spectrum, even the extreme left and the extreme right we have here in the studio, look <laughs> yeah, with the, so, with the so there, yeah. tame by comparison. <laughs> well, Sam's not here, so I guess it's not that extreme. Um, <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un Peace Summit here on the one ninety-one FM. This is Selassie. I came and fucked up that- We're back with Will and Viv here talking about international politics now. Uh, Trump and North Korea, uh, according to Twitter, meeting being planned, all caps. Um, Who knows what that means? Uh, But it's probably better than, like, um, you know, saber-rattling and chest-beating brinkmanship. Mm. Uh, I guess we still have yet to see what's going to come out of this, but... um, yeah, you were just saying before we went on air, it's about 50-50. It's like a coin flip. Yeah. It could go either way, couldn't yeah. it? It could either be really great and, you know, North Korea doesn't bomb everyone, or 
Trump pisses Kim Jong Un off, and we start World War. Th- he starts World War Three. It's one of those things. that's like, and it's one. It's also one of those things where we can do literally nothing, and it's just yeah. terrifying. Uh, <laughs> all you can do is pray for the best and yeah. prepare for the worst. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of a, a <laughs> hard situation to be. The in. thing that terrifies me the most, and I guess we should really ask our defense minister, who's Ron Mark. That terrifies me enough. <laughs> um, but labor. Uh, if you were to ask their defense spokesperson or national, if you were to ask their defense yeah. spokesperson, would basically be like, of course we'll enthusiastically join the U.S. in a nuclear war against North Korea. Like, yeah. are you fucking insane? <laughs> Why would yeah. you wreck our country just for that? Like, don't yeah, do it. Says it. Just to sort of cover your back. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hoping it never happens. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, of course we believe in international alliances. Shut up, you guys. <laughs> But uh, there was an interesting interview with uh, Daniel Ellsberg, who was the um, leaker of the Pentagon Papers, like about all the stuff that was going on in the Vietnam War, despite the U.S. government lying about it and stuff. And he actually copied a whole lot more secret military documents that were never leaked to the press. And he didn't really bring them out because they were top secret. And he wasn't actually like going full Snowden. He was just trying to avert the Vietnam War. But um, he, he has shared a lot of them now, and he's written a new book. And essentially, the crux of the argument is that um, going as far back as the 1950s, you know, the um, mutually assured destruction Cold War policy of, you know, if one sort of little thing sparks it off, it is a global nuclear war where the major superpowers yeah. who, can, who have nuclear weapons, um, you know, there's enough. And and the the actual operational plan that exists even still to this day is to hit every single city in every single country in that various allied bloc, and then you know the retaliation from that is going to be every the single city yeah. in every single country of the opposing allied bloc, and um, essentially the you know the number of nuclear warheads in the arsenals of the major superpowers is on the orders of the tens of thousands um, and you know only like less than a thousand like only high triple figures are needed to actualize the military plan but even just 10 or 15 detonations um, sort of anywhere would cause what they call nuclear winter where the whole like fallout blocks out the sun and all the crops die and everyone starves and so Essentially, the um, the war plan in the in those early days, which is has not been amended, and there's still the brinkmanship between China, Soviet Union, and the U.S. Um, you know, called for essentially one six hundred million to one billion directly killed by the explosions, and then the remaining, you know, yeah, yeah, down to about one percent um, killed by the ensuing famine and and stuff like that, but. There would be one percent of humanity remaining in small pockets of sort of favorable environments, and one of those would be New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> on that map, it was quite encouraging to see we're just outside the missile range of North Korea. Right, see, I, I yeah. think it's been updated now, and we are oh. just in the range. Well, yeah. the, yeah, the yeah, North yeah. Island. I mean, yeah, who yeah, cares, yeah. really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I just silver linings, anyways. <laughs> um, but <laughs> this this idea of um, you know New Zealand having the most Bond villain lairs per capita, um, <laughs> yeah. there's something to that, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> so there's a smart move on that. Uh, um, but I guess the other thing you've got to look at is uh, you know what are North Korea's goals 
in this, you know. So they, one of their long-term goals has been reunification of the Korean Peninsula. And so you, you, you would think, looking at the, P, the potential peace deal between Trump and Kim Jong-un, um, is, is the reunification uh, still a goal there? Mm. Um, so is this peace deal, you know, trying to remove the threat of nuclear war so they, they can then go ahead and invade South Korea again? So well, exactly. I mean, the, if anything, the interview with Ellsberg made Kim Jong-un seem like supremely rational yeah because uh the other point he made was that nuclear weapons have been used many times since nagasaki and hiroshima yeah. they just haven't been detonated they've been held like a gun to the head of any sort of geopolitical mm. kept competitor and we just haven't had to pull the trigger in his words but that doesn't mean they haven't been used and used strategically yeah. as an implement of war. Yeah. And so, so Kim Jong-un is taking the gun away through this peace it, deal. The yeah. only people who haven't been threatened in that way are those who possess their own effective deterrent. And that's what he's said is, you know, he's, you know, uh, he's committed to creating his own deterrent capacity. Yeah. And, well, now they're having a meeting. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting. Works, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, people are saying, it's funny because you have both sides. Like, people are saying, oh, Trump was so tough and he just didn't give any ground and put even more sanctions. And look, now they've had to come to the table. And other people would say, well, Kim Jong-un actually made a missile that can hit the U.S. And now they've come to the table. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's hard to yeah. know which one of those is. And I mean, they can both be true at the same time. Um, but, yeah, to give up that deterrent... You'd have to be almost foolish, really. I mean, yeah. given the history of the U.S. That's and the one thing that, you know, the North Koreans always say is stop doing military drills like immediately over our border where you're practicing to kill all the leaders and, you know, destroy our entire military force. And then, you know, like if you stop practicing for that. Then we'll pull back on the developing the deterrence. But if we can see you practicing that every day, then we need a deterrence. It's, it's one of those things where you've, you've got two options. You've got either like continued escalation or disarmament. Mm. And personally, I think global disarmament yes. is, the, is the way we should be moving. But everyone has to agree but, to yeah, that. It's, it's uh, like South Africa is the only country that has had nuclear weapons and voluntarily given them up. Mm. And that's amazing. I just wish, I mean, that there was obviously movements um, at the end of the Cold War um, towards disarmament, but nowhere near enough. Well, and they were scrapped. I mean, let's yeah. not forget in 2002, George W. Bush basically, um, you know, uh, opted not to renew the uh, anti-proliferation treaties mm, between the yeah. U.S. and Russia. Um, so, hmm, yes, yes. The other option besides um, nuclear disarmament is basically... Um, you know, the statistical probability that the only possible conclusion to humanity's story is this nuclear winter scenario at some point or another, be it nuclear, 10 years, Nuclear winter years. or catastrophic climate change. One of the two. One yeah. of the two ends, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I guess nuclear winter will cool things down a little bit. <laughs> so. Maybe that's the solution. But, um, well, you know, that, that brings me back to uh, the famous uh, U.S. Department of Defense military planner during the Cold War, a guy called Edward Teller, who called for essentially geoengineering using nuclear weapons, um, exploding enough nuclear bombs in the atmosphere to create local effects or, yeah, weather warfare type Jeez. of stuff. So, um, yeah. That's awful. Yeah, pretty, pretty unethical. But, um, you know, it's just 
little pieces on a game board and numbers on a page to the uh, military industrial complex and um, dehumanization of statistics yeah well, well, well in reality you know each individual person matters well one of the um one of the sort of watershed moments in the history of the cold war where this um was really brought home uh, by President John F. Kennedy when he was still alive during his short tenure was to take a look at these top secret military plans that, you know, were basically speaking about targets hit and, you know, um, number of tanks and planes left and those sorts of reserves and strategic fuel. and But it never said anywhere the number of people that would be killed. Uh, and when they quantified that, these are the numbers that uh, Ellsberg was talking about with the, the direct explosions and then the nuclear winter. It was like, yeah, yeah well, we'd beat the Soviets and at their own game and we'd show them boss. and, yeah. uh, oh, there would be nothing left. Yeah. Um, so come on, guys. Just be friends. <laughs> Just agree to give up Kim Jong-un's five nukes and the United States... 45,000. <laughs> uh, it can't just be one for one. Um, the other thing that I thought we could talk about that seems to be in the news a bit is the police pursuit policy. Mm. Now, um, there may be a difference of opinion here uh, between the Nats and the Greens, uh, just in terms of the their various levels of loving of criminals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> The Yeah, I mean, basically 81 deaths or serious injuries in the last 12 months from police chases. And basically police will, you know, turn on the lights and start to give chase if anybody speeds off on them for anything. Yeah. Even if it wasn't even anything in the first place, if someone just sort of speeds off because they see a cop, the cops are automatically like, okay, we got to get them. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, you know... We've we've had discussions already about certain things that maybe shouldn't be a crime, but let's just focus on things that we all agree are genuine crimes. Um, and even, you know, there's a spectrum from murder to sort of public safety nuisances, and, yeah. and all of them should be sort of, um, you know, uh, pursued and, um, you know, dealt with. But this attitude that as soon as anyone does any tiny little thing, it's like the... It's like the ego macho-ness of the mm. cops of like, oh, you're not going to run for me. I'll show you. I'm going to get you. And as soon as that moment starts, the that you know the offender is completely dehumanized, and at any cost you'll get them, even if it means them wrapping around a pole yeah. and killing and, and everyone in the vehicle or some innocent it's, it's bystander. It's not even just the vehicle itself. It's innocent bystanders as well who are at harm from this, as well as the police. They can get injured as well. Yeah, and I think you have to look at the, the when look at the numbers. You said you said eighty-one deaths in the past year. Um, deaths and serious injuries. De deaths and serious injuries. Sorry, yeah. That's not um, any better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's not. It's, it's terrible statistics. And then you look at somewhere like Tasmania or Queensland, comparable population sizes. They've had zero deaths in the past like four or five years because the police don't just chase after anything you know they, they look they, they look at the license plate and they're like we'll go to your house yeah um how hard is that yeah yeah it's like there's drones so, there's helicopters <laughs> i mean yeah yeah they chase people who are suspects in like murders and stuff yeah but not just for anything if there's a threat to life yeah then, yeah. yeah exactly and um, which is uh, just uh, such a more sensible policy because it doesn't lead to these 
innocent. Like I, I read an article about um, someone who was running from police and ended up rear-ending a pregnant lady's car. Yeah, and that's it, it, in the end, she was fine and her child was fine. But it could have turned out like well, tragic. In Nelson, two yeah. days ago, a lady just driving to work in the morning. Yeah, yeah. was killed by these guys fleeing police, and yeah. um, and you have to look at the policy behind why they're doing these police changes. Uh, not police. Uh, uh, pursuit chases um, and wonder if we should make a change and I think we really need to for the safety of the people being chased the police and innocent people who just happen to be around yeah what do you think Viv I mean the National Party um, you know I mean well what do you think Judith Collins or Paula Bennett would say and then <laughs> what, do you have any difference of opinion with that well look with um, well, we haven't got an official policy as Young Nets sure this yeah, it's just issue. emerged as an issue. Yeah, yeah. so it just come up this week. But it is um, obviously all comes back to public safety, and you sort of do that balance of is this criminal going to cause like a whole lot of harm in this chase? Yeah, I mean, like personally, I think like a police chase is something out of a 1980s film. Yeah, and the fact that we still, with all the modern technology we've got, we're still that's the best way to get them. Like, yeah, surely not. We know the government can spy on everyone can, at any time <laughs> if they want to. Yeah. <laughs> like surely with new technologies, you could send like a drone or like even just look at like your track their Tasmania. cell phone. Yeah, your Tasmania. Like just look at their license plate number and just follow them that way. But mm. obviously, there's a spectrum. If it's like a just someone speeding off, you could sort of go, oh, or we'll track down that person later. But if it's someone committing a serious crime, yeah, jumping totally. obviously, away, yeah, with guns and yeah, yeah, you'd have to. But I think you'd have to leave it up to almost like that police discretion. But you do have to give those some sort of guidelines as well. And in some ways, you know, now that Labour's in the position of power, they're finding out, you know, that. Um, you can't just make a change super easy. Like, there's all these entrenched lobbyists, um, you know, yeah. unions with interests, like the police association. If they don't want to do it, they're going to shame you in the media. Uh, yeah. Or we're still, there's sort of, um, you know, these nepotistic behind-the-scenes personal connections or even lobbying money kind of sloshing around. And um, all of a sudden, uh, you know, somebody who would be just ripping national a new one if they were in power for something like this and be like we've got to do this now it's like think of the police you know let's just listen to what they have to say and it's yeah. like it's yeah it's a real sort of um hypocritical change of attitude sometimes i, I think. think we saw that with the like cptpp as well yeah um you know ton of people turning out in um support of the anti-tpp movement when national was in government um and then this time around with the cptpp not really that different some suspended clauses that can be brought back in mm. um and we're seeing like so much such lower turnout it's got a new name it's got a, yeah, it's yes. got a new name we can both agree there's nothing's really changed yeah nothing's uh, really yeah. changed it's still the same um it's got a new name that is really hard for protesters to say and yeah. chant you can't um, fit that on a sign <laughs> no has to be nothing too, rhymes with it the it's proportions like, uh, of length and width yeah. are uh, too long but um yeah i think that yeah that the CPTPP, I, I mean, in some ways, the worst excesses may be curbed by the fact that the U.S. is not in it. Like, For a while. Yeah. 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 They, can, they can always opt to come back in. Yeah. Is, yeah. yeah. And as long as the countries agree, which all the countries have agreed in the past to have these clauses in, those clauses can come back in in order to gain U.S. It's almost like access. the public is only important when it's time to get the votes. And then <laughs> the actual people who matter more... Are the people who have the more you money? You mean we should be reforming uh, the parliamentary system? Uh, well, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 better than it could be, but it could always totally, be totally, better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Well, thanks for joining me today, guys. You've uh, provided a lot of insight. We didn't go too hard on the Labor Party. I think Bonnie would have approved of our uh, reasoned yeah. discussion yeah. that we had today. And, um, yeah, I hope that they don't scapegoat the wrong people inappropriately to uh, yeah. try to dodge this Andrew one. Andrew Curtin needs to have a looking at the... Yeah, 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 yeah. Scapegoat the right people, yeah. not the poor, you know, victims. Um, anyway. Oh, the, the fact that the media put them, put the photo out of them? Of, of, of the labor camp? Oh, I, I heard this. I didn't yeah. see it. But yeah. basically you could pick out you, who you was could, who. You could work out who was sexually assaulted, and that is awful. And that's... The media yeah. is just... Uh, sort of a, yeah. Yeah. Like an issue you got to leave up to young labor to sort out it's sort of something we can oh, really like discuss yeah. and deal with it, it needs yeah. to be acknowledged that it happens because people need to know for like their child safety and the like but it shouldn't be lambast like the the, the the people who've been assaulted shouldn't be getting put on the media um, it's, it's something deeply personal yeah and well it's tough it, I mean yeah. basically you can't um, what they should have done is rung the parents and uh, at a minimum instead of just asking the guys, oh, do you want to talk about it? And then even though one said they did, they still didn't tell the parents oh, or the anything. the support was awful. Um, Total lack of support. But, you know, in, in today's tribal politics and social media, yeah. Yeah. if one person, you know, doesn't like one political thing that one other person has done... The village gossip that is Facebook, <laughs> just, it's all there. It's all metadata, time-stamped, and, yeah. you know, the photos of Liz Craig drinking it up or whatever you want to say. Um, <laughs> you can't erase the Internet. Yeah. But we'll be back.